Welcome to the Final Score Network and the Final Score Podcast, presented by Team Anders Realtors. I'm Andy. He's former D3 student athlete, two-year starter, consummate glue guy, and co-host... Ryan! Damn! Two-man monster flush! Off the inbound! Ryan Cam Slam Jam! Find us on Podbean, the Apple Podcast Store, Spotify, or anywhere you get your podcasts. Follow us on Twitter at TheFinalScore35. There is always plenty to run through, but before we get to it, a word from our presenting sponsor. Service from the heart to become your Realtors for Real Life is Team Anders Realtors' mission. Team Anders helps its clients find the home that best fits their needs and makes the process simple and fun along the way. Team Anders will be in close communication with you personally taking care of your real estate needs through technology, marketing, and advertising. They have served thousands of clients over 30 plus years in the Grand Rapids, Michigan area, and are here to serve you today. Learn more at teamanders.com. Our regulars may have noticed the delay off our usual Monday, sometimes Tuesday pod release this week. That's because my main man is on his first ever business trip a two-weeker, no less, to Portland, Maine, where his company is located and is handling the Live and Work in Maine Open, a corn ferry tour event. Perfect gig for a golf-crazed recent college grad, I'd say. Anyway, once we've figured out the logistics with his 12-hour days, you're getting me live with Ryan's pre-recorded segments woven in. But hey, you figure it out when life tweaks your approach. Plenty going on in the wide world of sports, but if you've followed us enough, I'm sure you can figure out where this one might head. With that, let's get to the podium. Ryan, the lectern is yours. This week's podium is coming from Portland, Maine. So uh, hello, everyone out there. Um, So my podium take this week is why is Chris Paul being screwed by the NBA? Um, You know, if you haven't seen the news, uh, Chris Paul is out indefinitely because he violated the COVID bubble or whatever the heck they call it in the NBA. Uh, I don't get this at all. They let LeBron slide with this earlier in the year. I think we might have talked about it even when it happened about a month ago. Um, let it slide. Um, ridiculous stuff. Um, he's in de- jeopardy of missing the whole Western Conference Finals, and the Suns have a chance to make it to the Finals for the first time in a long time. He had one of his best years. I just feel for the guy. Just give him a damn break. I mean, he's, he's a hard worker. He's a good guy. He's high up in NBA PA, just give him a break. You give LeBron a break. You give KD a break, I think. So let this one slide, NBA. I'm tired of your crap. We'll get to you later again. Um, but, yeah, just not good. Not a good look by you. Got to say I agree with you on that one, Ryan. Uh, like you said, just to tee up, we do have a – well, tee up too, but we have a couple more NBA segments coming up. So from my podium, I'm going to ask a simple question. How much longer before the bow statue is removed in Ann Arbor? I talked about this a few weeks ago, and it has since gained more national traction with Bo's own son, saying not only did his dad do nothing when he told him he was abused, or, well, what he did is he told him to toughen up and then allegedly hit him when he, he was the one who was abused, more and more players are speaking out. Look, what went down at Penn State and Michigan State, and has certainly occurred elsewhere, is bad enough. But when self-avowed Harvards of the Big Ten just try and squelch something like this and let it carry on, 
WTAF. Jopa's statue was removed almost immediately because he didn't do enough to stop things with Sandusky and at Penn State. We're talking a handful of people, not hundreds, over decades. Stop protecting Michigan and Michigan football and address the issue. That bow statue should have been toppled already like Saddam Hussein's was. And someone get Harbaugh a muzzle because the look of him defending Bo when more and more is coming out, including from his very own teammates, is a bad, bad look. The only way to start to shut this stuff down before it gets to this level is to address things right away, not squash them. I say melt the statue, present the hunk of melted metal to Jimmy with a severance check, and wave goodbye. Michigan fans, I've got to ask, where are you on all of this? Are you willing to accept your beloved Bo was nothing more than an above-average coach and a bully? Same as his mentor, Woody Hayes? Because I know how damn embarrassed I was with how my alma mater handled the Nasser stuff. And trust me, this is not a good look for you. All right, let's move it to our tee-up segment. Ryan will set us up. Yep, we're going to tee up the NBA, and no, not for the COVID stuff, although we could do that, and not for LeBron, although we could do that all day, every day. We're going to tee him up for something maybe kind of benign, but space between playoff games. Come on, NBA. Why are these seven-game series a three-week, seemingly, probably closer to 16 to 18-day affair? Every series. Back in my day... Bad Boys, Pistons, Celtics, Lakers, beginning of the Bulls. It was back-to-backs at one place, travel day, back-to-back, maybe back-to-back-to-back. Or maybe they were nice and gave them kind of like that fifth day off and then a game. Then a travel day and back-to-backs if it went seven. So we're talking ten days max for a seven-game series. I guess the league is soft or needs less regular season games or both. More on the softness in a few, but we're going to tee up the NBA for elongating an already too long season. All right, moving on. Let's get to our around the world. Let's hit spot number one. I realize since we're late, because it's already started, but we've got to tee off with a U.S. Open preview. I'm talking like foursome, sleeper, course thoughts, winning score, etc., I have yet to hear what Ryan had to say, so this will be news to me too. But Ryan, I will let you start us off. So thank goodness, U.S. Open week, um, an American classic. Always love the U.S. Open. Um, but back at Torrey Pines for the first time since Tiger in 08, uh, the incredible last 18-hole playoff in major history with Rocco um, when Tiger went to extra holes even then and won it. Um, but yeah, going jump into this week, I think there's a handful of guys that can win this. Um, you know, I'm wondering in the back of my mind, can Phil Mickelson do this again? I think there's a course he can win at. Um, but I'll get to that in a little bit. And another question I have is, will Rom still be in form after that little hiatus from COVID? Um, also get to him in a second. But I'm just really excited to watch and follow this. I, lo- I love the U.S. Open. Um, especially at a great venue like this, a lot of challengers. Um game fit this course, which is really cool. Um, just super stoked to just follow along and see what happens, but uh, we're going to do the player thing like always, player one. Uh, I'm going to take the guy just talked about, John Rum. 
Uh, he's off to blood after this COVID hiatus. Um, the, the dilemma there, um, I think he's playing great golf. Um, I think he's a name to definitely watch out on this tournament. My second guy, uh, Jordan Spieth, talked about him for the last two majors, but he's played well um, here at Torrey in the past, and I think he's proven the slump is gone, and that's not a thing anymore. So good to hear and see that from Jordan, uh, one of my favorites out there. Um, hopefully he can make some noise. Third player to look out for, uh, Will Zalatoris, um, rising star on the tour. He's a putting master. Uh, hits it well off the tee. His game suits really any course, which is great, especially for this win player. Um, yeah, I think he can do some big things this weekend. Keep your eye on him. I think he could have a very high finish. Um, Tommy Fleetwood, a guy that I picked, honestly, on um, on FanDuel to win, put a couple bucks on him. He's good at the long shot, but he's one of the best ironing win players on the tour. I like his game for this course setup, and I think he's overdue for a major. I mean, he was close there. Uh, when Brooksy won it over at Shinnecock a couple years ago, but I think that Tommy has a good shot at, at making some noise this weekend. Um, some dark horse candidates I kind of want to talk about and um, want you to keep your eye on. Uh, Gary Woodland, I mean, he just won it a couple years ago, but still, I mean, the guy, I mean, he's been kind of not playing great lately, but I think that if he plays his game, he can he can do really well here. Uh, another guy, Canadian Corey Connors, saw his name up there at the PJs. He's a good player, um, you know, really good iron player. Not not great length, but I think his game um, can suit suit Tory well. And then uh, Garrett Higgle, a guy that won last week for the first time on the PJ Tour, two-time winner in the Euro Tour, 22 years old, lefty, has a really nice game. He's hot right now. He's won three events total this year. Um, the South African, he's rolling. So that's a name to watch. Got to stay away from Dustin. He's playing bad. Don't know if he's injured. Um, some mental thing. But since the Masters, that win in November, he hasn't been great. So definitely, I wouldn't put money on him. Another guy, Rory. Um, he's played poorly in majors in, in general lately, especially the U.S. Open. I think the last few he shot 77 or worse in this last his first few rounds, which isn't great. Another guy, Bryson, I mean, obviously won it at Wingfoot in, in September, but I just don't know if he can overpower this golf course with the rough and the wind. He's not a great wind player. I uh, just don't know if he can do that this time around. And JT, uh, Justin Thomas, guy who was, who was hot and now he's cold. Uh, his putting has been really, really bad, so I just don't know if he can do it. Um, but I, I love JT, so hopefully he can, but I'm not, I'm not going to put money on But my winner, I'm going to say John Rahm at 6-under. Um, I think there's going to be a large group falling behind him at 5-4-under. and four under. Hopefully it's a crowded leaderboard to make it interesting goes on to the wire, but I think Rahm's going to be the guy here uh, and uh, bring great pride to his home country of Spain. So that's what I'm rolling with for the uh, U.S. Open. Great takes as always, Ryan. You're basically like an employee of the Golf Channel with a take. Um, we got a lot of similar names up there. You you covered basically the top ten in the world for sure. Uh, day one has already been interesting. That's the beauty kind of of the California time zone. Is it's what four thirty out there right now? So they've got plenty of playing to do. Um, you know, we got off to a slow start because you had the typical June gloom, aka fog delay. If you've never been to SoCal. Uh, in June, it's 
almost every day you have a marine layer. Um, and then you had, starting out of the gate, guys like Phil doing, well, you know, things that Phil does. Um, I had it on while working, and in the first six holes alone, when I was able to kind of watch, he was the old Phil and not the guy who played a smart 72 holes en route to a PGA Championship. I guess him as my super dog pick is just that, a long shot, but still low risk on a plus 15,000 after the way he played at the PGA, and I made that bet before the PGA, as we've covered. So Phil aside, I've got kind of a foursome who uh, I really liked going into today. Admittedly, you'll find out here in a minute, one that I didn't do enough research on, um, kind of went with more of a gut feel, and obviously I ate some bad potato salad because that was not a good gut feel. Um, kind of my guy to win it and had a good day today, uh, we'll get to him in a minute, but is uh, Xander Schauffele. He got off to a fantastic start, um, two under today. He's right up there, close to the, the top of the leaderboard already. Um, obviously, lots of things change. I mean, you don't want to play yourself out of the tournament Thursday, but you can't win it Thursday either. But good solid start for him. Um, looked like he was striking the ball pretty well today. Putted as well, putted it pretty well. Also, I got him at plus eighteen hundred, so um, I think I had a ten dollar on him. So not a <clears throat> not a bad win if I can win that. Um, John Rahm, you know, he's just starting his round. Probably he's on the third or fourth hole by the time that we're recording this podcast. He's the favorite at plus nine fifty. You know, I think I said it last week. It's golf is not a sport that you can just say, "Oh, well, he has the momentum coming off of his last tournament." I mean, certainly if you're in a groove and you're striking the ball well or or whatever, mentally you're crisp. But I mean, it is such a game that can go south with just a few bad shots in so many different ways. Um, still, he's off to a good start today. I like his game for this. He's he's improved uh, overall as a putter. Um, he has been playing well all year anyway. Um, I didn't honestly really like him, and then he had a baby, and he kind of loosened up, and I started to like him more. So I'm rooting for him a little bit, too, after what happened to him uh, at the Memorial. Uh, Webb Simpson, that was my my potato bad potato salad pick. Past champion, um, but I clearly forgot that he's quite injured with a neck injury. He's been fighting now really for a couple of months. Um, He fired something like a 7 or 8 over today. And uh, Wills Altoris, um, he's kind of my fourth guy in my foursome. He's been top ten in all of his career majors. Um, mind you, he's only played in two or three, but still he's a very impressive young player. I think he's got a good game for that. He's a later start. I have not uh, looked to see where he is out of the gate on the leaderboard. But um, I got Will at plus 4,100, so he's a pretty good deal. Um, I sprinkled in a couple of bets, too, some side bets. Um, I Tony Finau, because one of these days he's going to pay off. Um, I put a little flyer on him to win, but also a uh, top five for him. He didn't get off to a great start, so it's like plus three today. Um, my long shot aside from Phil was one of his playing partners, um, coincidentally, today, and that was Max Homa. Um, probably not a great start when you four or five putt or whatever it was, his third hole, uh, but at plus 6,000, I think I only put a buck on him, um, you know, whatever. But he was plus five today. So that's on the cusp of playing yourself out of it. He's a good nine shots out at this point. Um, I'll say, you know, for my group, not necessarily a great start, obviously, but what a course. I mean, was it like 60 bucks to play for that, you know, in the public? And if you live in San Diego, I think it's $35 to play there. That's just insane. And the public had access up until June 6th. You know, a lot of these courses will shut them down for six months or whatever. Not Tory. Um, true Muni, love it, love this track and the tournament. I hope they'll have it again there sometime. I hope there's the fireworks and the spark of 2008 when it was Tiger and Rocco. 
that was phenomenal theater. Um, that's why I love the U.S. Open, because it's just easy come, easy go. I mean, you could have a three, four-shot swing on a hole. Um, I'm with Ryan. I really hope for a crowded leaderboard. You know, that made for a lot of interest at the PGA when it was Phil and Brooks. And, you know, you had um, Shrek up there, and you had a lot of other guys kind of in and out of contention. That's how the best ones are. You know, minus maybe a Phil runaway, which is clearly not going to happen here, or in the old days, a Tiger runaway. The best theater is back and forth. Um you know, we've we've covered some of the other why of why I love the U.S. Open. Um, and one of the things is I just hope it plays as hard as most U.S. Open courses. <clears throat> I love it that they're kind of brought to their knees by wayward shots because amateurs who are bogey golfers like me get brought to our knees by uh, wayward shots all the time. And so it's kind of fun to see the pros have to struggle with that. I'm not a fan of... A guy like Bryson, who's just so strong that he can gouge out of the six-inch rough. I mean, I don't think you can make a golf course hard enough for a guy like that um, based on his strength. And, yeah, well, power to him for for doing that for himself. Uh, I am just, I'm not a fan, so I'm, I'm hoping that he gets out of contention early. Um, plus, I'm kind of done hearing the whole Brooks and Bryson thing, to be honest with you. We've even talked about that the last couple of pods. Um, this is, I think, the longest U.S. Open course so far. Uh, it's funny, the rough can be spotty, but it can be downright gnarly, especially around the green. I think that's where people are going to get, get, you know, if they're a little bit off on the, on their fairway or on, off, off of the fairway, sorry, on their tee shots and they get long or left or right or short sided in that hard rough, that's where the scores are going to blow up. Um, today so far, minus four is in the lead. There's been some low shooters that'll happen. I'm still going to go minus seven to win this thing. And I'm going to go with Xander Schauffele. All right, we talked about uh, saying that we had some things to, some bones to pick with the NBA, so to speak. So around the world too, the question is, is the NBA too soft? And that stemmed from, I'm not on Twitter anymore, but I saw it was posted to Instagram. Ja Morant on the Jokic flagrant two the other day uh, in game four of the Suns Nuggets series. Um, clearly, that was a really hard foul. It was unnecessary. It was out of frustration, but a flagrant two, you're kicking him out of the game. Yes, Ja, the NBA is too damn soft. Um, I'm going to get this one started, obviously, as I already started down the path, but, you know, even though I'm obviously not the biggest NBA fan, I do like good basketball. And part of good basketball to me is guys that play kind of position basketball. I'm not the biggest fan of positionless necessarily. And I like a clean but a physical game. Maybe that's because Ryan was a big guy and I felt he got screwed all the time with chippies 30 feet from the basket. I'll ask this question. Would Magic, Bird, MJ, Dr. J, Ewing, Reggie Miller be as soft as this NBA? No. LeBron James is probably the most amazing physical specimen of an athlete, as much as I don't like him, across the board, any sport, ever. The dude, look at him. I mean, he, he, is, a, he is a man. He was a man when he was in high school. He is a man now. His size, but his grace, his athleticism, his physicality, and yet he is so soft. The bad boys, Bill Lambeer, Rick Mahorn, they would have taken it right to his weak ass and he would have been crying, 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 and the refs wouldn't have bailed him out. Ask MJ. 
MJ was a little bit admittedly soft when he first came out. Pistons went after him pretty hard. Other teams went after him pretty hard. Michael Jordan rules, right? Well, instead of complaining about it, what did he do? He did something about it. He got physical. He surrounded himself with physical guys. He didn't back down. I hate that about the NBA now. I did like that uh, our boy Devin Booker, former uh, Grand Rapids guy, Granville, okay red dude as a freshman, got right up in Jokic's face um, after the play. That, that's good. Like that, I like to see that. I, I'm glad he didn't throw a swing because that's not the physicality I'm talking about. But hard fouls, making people know that you're there, that's what basketball is part It's part of the game. If you're going to give up a foul, it should be a foul. None of this ticky-tacky, weak stuff, hand-checking way away from the basket. The NBA lets three steps go. They let James Harden you know, kick a leg into somebody and do like a three-step, side-step, step-back three. That is not basketball. And until you get that trash out of the game, I'm not going to watch it nearly as much as I even do now, which is maybe a half of a quarter of a game or two a week. Get to steal a, a movie title with, with Will Ferrell and uh, Kevin Hart. Get hard. Get better. Get stronger. Go back to real basketball where the Pistons and the Celtics went after each other and you didn't go to the lane without getting a, you know having to pay it off. Otherwise, stop playing basketball and just go play over in Europe because the Euro rules suck and they're ruining the game. Ryan, I'd love to get your view as a former basketball player. The NBA is, is an absolute joke. Uh, I'm not a fan of it in general right now at all. Um, and I think this is attributed to guys like LeBron that made the league so freaking soft and just almost unwatchable in my mind. Um, I think we need the old NBA back, the 80s, 90s, early 2000s tough guys. I think that, I mean, the refs are so in control of the game with touch fouls and whatnot. It's getting out of freaking control. I hate it. Um, the, the rules need to re, be redone or else the game is going to be completely ruined. And it's going down levels, um, hurting the game a lot. I mean, you see this more in college now than young players trying to mimic these NBA guys and this garbage happens. I just hate the softness. I'm all for toughness out there on the court. There's flopping everywhere. There's this, this, the, the Jokic thing was out of proportion. I mean, yeah, it should, probably should have been a flagrant foul, but there's no way it should have been ejected. I mean, you saw guys weighing in from different leagues and from the NBA, just absolute utter ridiculousness. Um, I, I thought that was that was not a good look for the NBA. Um, but, you know, I think that the NBA is definitely too soft, and it's only going to get softer unless something's done. And LeBron is a tribulism. He's complaining on Twitter about all this stuff. I mean, dude, shut up. You're... You're one of the greatest to ever do it, but you'd stop. You're just stop. I'm, I'm done with you. All right, let's move to our around the world spot number three. We're going to go back to a podcast favorite, Mount Rushmore. Don't worry, non golf fans, it's not going to be golf this time. We're going to go to the four most underrated players of the Izzo era. We could have gone Michigan State. This is something Ryan and I were talking about when we were playing golf last week, so we decided to make it a topic. Um, and since we can't banter this one out live or we kind of go back and forth and see what the other one said, we're going to start with Ryan's four, and we'll see if we have any overlap because I have not listened to his recording yet. Ryan, let's hear from it. Yeah, this is a fun one. I think we came up with this over the week, the weekend playing golf. 
Mount Rushmore for most underrated Izzo plays. I think it's a fun one. There's a lot of guys I could put up there. Um, probably missing some, honestly. But these are four guys that came to mind for me. The first guy, um, he hit one of the biggest shots in the history of Michigan State basketball. One of the all-time glue guys from Michigan State, Kenny Goings, number 25, former walk-on, um, turned scholarship player, great defender and rebounder his first few years. I mean, at 6'6", he was grabbing a lot of boards um, and turned some heads really early in his career and then kind of went away. He was a little bit dinged up. And then senior was just turned into a reliable scorer. Um, obviously, against Duke, hits the shot to put us into the Final Four. But I mean, the guy was guts, man. He was great. I think he averaged something like 8, eight, eight and like a block and a half at six foot six, playing the four in in – the Big Ten when it was really good, so Kenny's one of my guys there. Um, my second guy, uh, Matt Costello, you know, I think he's really underrated. Uh, the funny man on the bench, the glue guy, I mean, he's, he's the epitome of the glue guy. He did all the little things to help Michigan State be really good in 2015-16, even though no run in the tournament, really, but you know, I, th- I love his game um, and what he was all about. Just rebounding while blocking shots, and his, his senior year, like I said, was unbelievable. Uh, playing with Denzel there, he was great. Always loved his game. Um, you know, just I'm such a big fan of him. Tried to mimic my game after him, um, in a sense, when I played. But um, another guy extremely underrated, underappreciated in my mind is Travis Trice. Um, led Michigan State to the Final Four in 15. Just a great score. He can shoot it pretty well. Got shot that knuckleball. Um, you know, he could, he could lead the team, dish out assists, um, good leader. Um, you know, he single-handedly carried us to a Final Four in 2015, basically. Him and, him and BJ did. Um, just played great down that stretch of that year um, to get us into the tournament, really, then propel that run. But his other three years, he was really, really a great role player. Um, had some big games, and I, I, just, I just loved him, um, what he was all about. Um, and my last guy, um, Mr. Goran Sutan, number 14 from Lansing, Michigan, originally from uh, Bosnia. Um, big man, can sh- step out and shoot a little bit. Really good rebounder. Not a great defender by any stretch, but, I mean, the guy was from the mid-range. He hit that little glass shot. He was great. Um, met him um, after that final four. did a meet and greet. He was a great guy. Told us about how he missed a uh, layup, I think it was in, in, in Maui against Gonzaga his freshman year, and he got a lot of crap for that, but I mean, he was a great player, I mean played it, saved his best ball for last um, at Michigan State, and played great as a senior average, close to a double-double, and was really an unsung hero on that 2009 Final Four run um, played great against Kansas and against uh, Louisville in that, in that uh, tournament there and to get us to the to the final four so those are my my four guys i'm rolling with there four awesome picks ryan um none of them a surprise based a little bit on our conversation but uh four different than me and we maybe took a little bit of a different approach i my memory is a little bit longer back to the early iso days so i have maybe a few guys that are a little bit back in the iso days but uh, one thing that you said that is right is there are so many to choose from it's hard to boil it down to four 
Um, I'll go with mine. My first one, um, many are gonna would argue that my number one pick was actually a star player and not an underrated or an unsung player. But, you know, still to this day, he's never really talked about in that vein, and that's Alan Anderson. Um, he played right after the glorious three-year Final Four, three Final Fours through that three, four-year stretch that we had. And therefore, any team he was on was going to have a ton of expectations, fair or not. He played the point guard his junior year. He played the off guard. He played small forward. I remember he missed some key free throws, I believe. It might have been in our Final Four run uh, in an early... He was a great free throw shooter in like the first or second round game or whatever round you want to call it in the Big Ten tournament against Iowa. The infamous smash the tape of the sledgehammer, rebuild his confidence, and then he helped carry us until he hurt his his knee in later in that tournament. Um, he once, I don't remember if it was that year or what, but had a perfect game against Wisconsin, something like 10 for 10 from the line and 8 for 8 from the field or some ungodly thing like that. I remember I was listening to it in the car while stuck in traffic out in L.A., um, just an epic performance. You know, like I said, he took the team to a Final Four in 2005, and without any injury, I mean, Michigan State was beating North Carolina. A lot of people will forget beating them in the at halftime of that Final Four game uh, without with a very subpar Anderson. He played, but he was not himself. Um, if he's not hurt, who knows? With the rest of the talent that's on that team, maybe Michigan State wins it all. My second pick arguably also probably a star, although as we get further away from it, more and more people forget about it. Um, played a little bit in the NBA, was picked in the second round, I believe, by the Clippers, and that's Paul Davis. Um, he overlapped Anderson by a year, so he was also a key figure in that 2005 Final Four run. Um, he's still number 10 in scoring at Michigan State history and number 5 in rebounds. Uh, he had a solid post game. He was a good pick-and-pop player when Izzo was starting to really kind of get into that, or even after you know A.J. Granger was that but with more back-to-the-basket type of play, too. Uh, you know, like Raymar Morgan or even Brandon Dawson, some saw him as a bit of an enigma, kind of a brooder or whatever. Um, it, you know, maybe kind of complained he was an underperformer at times, but I, I disagree. I mean, he was a gamer. He was a baller. He played hard. Um, you know, and again, like Anderson, he played during the hardest time to be an Izzo player after an unreal run of success. And he's still, by statistics and by the way he played, one of the all-time greats. And I think very underappreciated. My third pick, Andre Hudson, an undersized five. He played a fair amount of the four. He was a catalyst for those early great Izzo teams. Just would do whatever it took. He could score if you needed him to. Back to the basket. Had a sweet lefty jump shot. Um, always love those lefties. Izzo has. Judd has. Always a mark of a good Michigan State team to have a sweet left-handed shooting you know, jump shooter. Um, you know, he single-handedly made the vaunted, I use air quotes there, Gators press look like Swiss cheese in the 2000 title game. Everybody was talking about after the grinder of Wisconsin for the fourth time, Michigan State can't run with Florida. And Ryan and I watched that a couple months ago, that game again recently, and he just shredded that press himself. He could handle the ball. Um, he was a good passer. He's still top 10 in Michigan State in rebounding. And by the way, Maybe a little known fact, he has one hell of a booming voiceover voice. Has done a lot of Michigan State stuff for Spartan Sports Zone and things like that in the past. So if you ever wonder who that dude is, that's my boy Andre. My fourth one, also arguably a star. Anybody who's more my age and certainly knows that Final Four era team would say, come on, Andy, he's not underrated. He's not, uh, you know, he doesn't deserve to be on this list because he's one of the best all time. 
And I can't disagree that he deserves to be on both lists. So that's Charlie Bell. The man won four Big Ten titles. He went to three Final Fours. He was the four-time MSU Defensive Player of the Year and Izzo's gold standard for defending guards still to this day. Um, he's unsung because of who he played with. And and those are the guys that are in the rafters, like Mateen and Mo Pete. I mean, he played with those guys that are in the rafters and did so in so many great ways. And then, oh, by the way, uh, just another NBA star like Jason Richardson sprinkled in there as well. He defended and rebounded like a fiend. He could score. Didn't ever lead us in scoring, you know, for a season, but could absolutely score the basketball when needed. And he could handle the rock. He stepped in and played a point guard when Cleves was hurt. Um, and he just worked. Work, work, work. Charlie Bell is the fourth guy on my Mount Rushmore. And just as a little caveat addition, if we were including the Judd era, one name I definitely would have had on here, not sure who I would have replaced, is Eric Snow, who made himself into a very good NBA player when he was virtually nothing. He was there my four years at Michigan State. I mean, we would sit there in the rafters, and my boys listen to this, Jeff, Chris, Dob, you know, we would turn around and look at the wall up in the pig's pen when he would shoot free throws because he was like 18% his freshman year. And he made himself into an NBA guy, as did one of his uh, later teammates, Jamie Fike, who also did the same thing. Just a worker who transformed himself as a basketball player. He's my honorable mention if we had Judd guys on our Mount Rushmore. All right, around the world, spot number four. We're going to change it up a little bit. And I'm going to go first here. Have replay rules made sports better or worse? And which sport or league has the best approach? A couple notable examples of times when replay would have been great. The Galarraga perfect game. Tigers fans know what I'm talking about. The perfect game that wasn't perfect. Or as Ryan likes to say, 28 up, 28 down. The Saints no call pass interference. Plenty of examples like that time and time and time again where replay at the time or replay for that type of play would have made a difference. Generally, my take, replay takes too long. It slows down an already slow game that is chock full of ads, especially when you're watching at home. Um, is there a price paid when the wrong call is made? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, replay helps fix things, and I'm not saying that we should get rid of it altogether. But in my mind, if you can't make a definitive decision in two minutes or less, tops, really ideally a minute and a half or less, then you need to stick with what was called in the field, court, ice, whatever, and go. Slow-mo, super slow-mo, million angles. Of course, They always uncover things you can't catch in the millisecond. Things happen live. And I'm, as much as I hate to say it because I gave good examples of how the human element screwed things up, the human element is part of the game. You're never going to make it perfect. So methods are all over the board. Um, we'll kind of get to who I think has the best approach here uh, as we get to it with my solution. But, you know, NBA, I looked it up. There's about 15 situations mostly related to things like buzzer beaters, two versus three, etc. Flagrants and fights can be reviewed. Coaches now get one challenge a game, which was recently added. I mean, that just seems like that's a recipe for slowing things up. That's part of the game. Argue the call, get a tee, move on. Maybe if the NBA wasn't so soft, they wouldn't need to give coaches a challenge. NHL, don't, granted, don't watch it nearly as much, but look that one up too. It's kind of a combination of centralized review, referee can self-review and question whether they made the right call, and the coach has the ability to challenge an unlimited amount of times, but 
After your first unsuccessful challenge, you get a two minute minor penalty and every one after that that's unsuccessful is a four minute double minor. So there's a little bit of a penalty for wasting time in the game and, and trying to maybe you know make timeouts or whatever. The other team gets a power play. Kind of an interesting approach. Um, I guess I saw it a little bit in the Stanley Cup playoffs. I get like goal, no goal and that kind of stuff. Absolutely. Um, not really sure minus instigators and penalties or high sticking and things like that, what else you would necessarily need it for, but is what it is. Major League Baseball, we talked about that. They instituted replay kind of maybe partially as a result of the Galarraga um, fiasco, but you know there are one to two manager challenges a game, two if their first one was successful, otherwise just one. The umpire crew chief can initiate review. Basic stuff like safe out, home run, fair foul are the most common. Not bad, but in an already slow game, those replays take forever. Uh, NFL, I think, is the best, honestly. Well, a combination of the best. NFL and I think actually college football, which we'll get to in a minute, are the best. Um, interesting, I saw today that the NFL, and maybe this has been a while, is exploring a sky ref, which is basically an official on-site up high, so up in the press box, who has authority to fix wrong calls, period. Interesting concept. Um, otherwise, right now, it's a combination of league-driven and coach challenges. Depends on what time it is in the game. Uh, interesting statistic I found. Only 40% of all replay reviews since 1999, so in now 22-plus years, have overturned the original call. So less than half the time. So how much time are we wasting? The average replay, I believe, last year was something like 216, I think is what I saw. College football. Varies a little bit league by league, which is part of the problem. It needs to be consistent across the board. But generally, all plays are being reviewed continuously all the time. It feels like targeting is probably the most commonly reviewed play. But, you know, there's um, obviously inbounds, out of bounds, catch, no catch, which, by the way, at least college doesn't have the stupid, crazy catch, no catch rules like the NFL. But that's another story. Um, You know, did he break the plane, that kind of stuff. I mean, a notable college football overturn as a result of replay, which was we were glad for, was Rocket, the Hail Mary play where Michigan State beat Wisconsin. Um, hard to tell, bang, bang, that Keith Nickel had crossed the plane, but clearly he had. So that's a situation where I think definitely would be a reviewable thing. In college hoops, um, close to the NBA, you know, twos versus threes, buzzer beaters, who touched it last, inside of the last minute of the game. We've seen definitely some things flip there. That's where... I think it needs to definitely be in a minute and a half or two minutes because they do a lot of, you know, we're so close that the fingers look pixelated. You know, we're judging based on color of skin that touched the ball. And, I mean, it's kind of ridiculous. No coaches challenges, at least. Uh, flagrant versus not, also quite common. A couple years ago, hook and hold was the big thing. I mean, there were stoppages five, six, seven times a game, it seemed like, to whether that was a hook and hold. Um, obviously, there's some consistency across the board. Some things that are clearly sports-specific, plenty that are league-specific. I personally feel like aside from sports situation and rules, the solution is a hybrid of all of them. It seems easy, right? Yeah, let's just make, mash them all together. Um, I personally like that every college football player is available for review, for example, but there have to be some parameters like those the NFL uses. got to be on key things, turnover, scoring plays, inbounds, out-of-bounds, catch-no-catch. Nothing more than that. So I think you set a clear standard of what can be reviewed. Don't get into anything that's in even more gray area. Use the appropriate version of that for all the other sports. And I say have the replay centralized. Central buzzes the head official for notification and all review takes place there. League office, Big Ten, Chicago, Pac-12, 
presumably it's in LA, it might be in San Francisco, so on. Two minutes max. Ideally, you would only have a certain amount of reviews per game anyway, wouldn't add much to it. If you can't change the call in two minutes, I still say more like a minute and a half, carry on. I feel like this would add consistency, speed things up, etc. It's two across the board. Um, pace of play, so to speak, is probably my biggest bugaboo with any sport these days. And believe me, I don't want plays like I opened up with being called wrong, but we've got to have a meet in the middle. And honestly, if a mistake is made here or there, that's life, baby. After all, would we talk about Galarraga as much if he actually had that perfect game? I don't think so. Ryan, what's your take? Replay review is just, it's gotten out of hand. I mean, you see it in almost every sport now, and it, it's, I think it's really trying to ruin sports in a way. I mean, slowing the game way down, which is not good for viewership. It makes me bored. I'm sure it makes others bored. Um, you know, it's just, it's just, they need to find a heavy medium where they can review it and make it quick and make it well thought out and well done so there's no complaints about it because you know the NFL had their issue with not reviewing enough and now they review all the time same with college football and MLB didn't have that for a long time and now they do and so is the NBA and the NBA one's kind of ridiculous the, the challenging fouls and reviewing them and all that that's that's nothing we don't need that but I mean yeah reviewing the who tipped out of bounds that's great but keep the game flowing that's, that's what's needed flow is in baseball, I think they do it the best right now in a game that's really pretty slow in general, but I think they do a good job, you know, and it's not used that often, maybe for like a, can't use it for balls and strikes, which is good, um, but base runners, um, yeah, I, I think that that's really good, would have helped our man Armando Galarraga not have a 28 up, 28 down per per game, um, Jimmy Joyce calling that one. Which he still regrets, by the way. I just read an article about that semi recently, but yeah, I think the MLB is doing it well. Uh, the NBA kind of has the right idea, but they it's still not good. The NFL is trying to be good, but not great either. So replay review definitely needs to be fixed in sports, and just just try to keep flow going. Again. That's the biggest thing. I hate, I hate the slowness and uh, what that brings, but hopefully we can get rid of that and uh, move forward with the times. Definitely a little like father, like son between my take and Ryan's takes there. All right, finishing up around the world, let's go to spot number five. And for um, the last time for a couple weeks until Ryan gets back home from Maine um, and we can do one of these again together, we have a course review. This week it is L.E. Kaufman, a.k.a. I call it the Tory Pines of Grand Rapids. It's our one and only, I believe, Muni at least good Muni in this area, hosts the Kent County Amateur, is in really great shape unless Bucks Creek floods then uh, 10, 18, and a couple of other holes are a little bit different. Um, definitely lift, clean, and place type of style, but we have not had that kind of rain in Grand Rapids. Course was in phenomenal shape. I'm going to let Ryan start with his review, and then I will come back with mine, and I would bet we'll have some of the similarities. Ryan, what's your take? Good old L.E. Kaufman. Uh, what a great Muni course this is. Uh, Parkland South Course, classic American golf. Um, just a pristine condition. Uh, Kent County Park, Palmer Park, I believe, in Wyoming. 
like I said, pristine condition, very green, uh, lush, fast and firm golf course. Um, really challenging course to play, but also really fun. Uh, pretty tight. Uh, not not great. Um, a great mix of holes with long and short. But I mean, it, it's just it's just so fun to play. Post um, the Kent County Am there every year. Uh, all the par, par fives are pretty short, um, but they're all hard for some reason. I mean, hard to score on. Um, just probably because they're so tight and the greens were so firm. It was like rock hard, honestly, when we played there. But none of the par threes are easy on that course. All four of them are just like they're not. They're not ideal. I mean, not overly long by any stretch of the imagination, except for one of them. Uh, hole eight's a little longer, but uh, the other ones aren't overly long, but just challenging, man. Just like, like I said, with the firm greens, they're not. They're not receptive. Um, pins were in tough locations. Sand is guarding them. Um, but I always enjoy playing this course. Um, you know, definitely want to get out there more often. It's not overly pricey either. Um, you know, I think my, my favorite hole. I think it's it's 12, um, par five, uh, heading downhill a little bit. There's and back up the hill, actually birdied the hole. My only bright spot of the day uh, out there on the course, but yeah, just a really good golf hole. I don't think I'd switch any of them. You know, the one I'd want to get rid of is the the next par five and the last one on the course, number 16. Um, ate my lunch and I've never done good on that hole, um, but. But still, it, it's a good golf hole. Just not, I'm, I've never been good at it, so I want to get rid of it. But, yeah, overall, I think the greens are were really good. I give them a solid four and a half. I mean, they're probably the best around here I've played all year. Rolled true, all consistent, really well kept up, like no ball marks, which is rare, especially for this time of year with all the play. Uh, really, really good. Um, variety, you know, I think... I, I'd say it's about a three. I mean, nothing special, like I said, but I mean, it's all just a beautiful course overall. Um, definitely give it a solid 4.25. Um, one of my favorite courses in the Grand Rapids area. If you haven't played it, I would definitely suggest it. Suggest it. Um, really fun. Um, yeah, just beautiful Parkland course. Just classic golf, how it was meant to be played. So right there in good old Wyoming, Michigan. So what? Well, Hoffman is definitely one to put on the list if you have not played there, and you will enjoy every moment of it. Um, I, I can guarantee you that. Yeah, Ryan, very spot on. Uh, I would agree. I've been playing Kaufman for a really long time. Like I said in my open, like Ryan agreed with some of it, uh, just kind of a classic throwback course. It's always in great shape. I mean, minus if Bucks Creek overflows. Um, it runs and disrupts 10 and 18 for sure. It runs along one, so one can get a lot of little soggy. Um, just you know, it adds it adds to the course. Just you know, having the, that creek there because it brings things into play. Um, you know, I, I think for me as an overview too, it's just it's fair price is a little bit more than the mines, <laughs> if I remember correctly. I want to say. You know, with a cart like fifty-eight bucks, plenty of people walk it. I mean, you're talking about it's it's a muni, right? So you got guys in t-shirts and shorts and golf sandals playing it. Um, pace of play was pretty good, though. I would say, you know, we've played behind a lot of scrambles lately. There was another two or four person scramble playing in front of us. I guess maybe because more and more people have taken up the game lately. 
Uh, maybe that's their way to do it and keep pace of play, which Ryan and I can appreciate since we could play in three hours and 15 minutes if you gave us, uh, if you if you told us we could do it and you left the course open in front of us, we could enjoy it in 315, not play it in a rushed 315. Um, that course, though, you know, I would say uh, you going to best hole, you know, there's, there's some really interesting ones. Um, there's enough variety, and we'll get the variety in a minute. For me, the best hole is number nine. It's a 425, and this is from the Blues, 425-yard, dead, perfect 90-degree dog leg left, um, par four, bunker guarding on the dog leg, OB left, plenty of room right if you push it or if you shoot it through the fairway. Um, green is guarded by a tons of tall trees. There's a pond that's really more in play for number one, but is there a number two? So if you really slice, or a number ten, or nine. If you really slice it, you could get in there. It's not really in play for a. That's in play for a bad shot, but you know. So it's a pretty daunting, a little bit downhill approach to a green that's pretty well guarded. Not so much from sand, but just from trees, and it's you know pretty undulated green, back to front slope. Um, Typically, I play that pretty well. I snap hooked one OB there and then I chunked my drop and took a six. Um, you know, it's kind of the story of my day and has been the story of my golf life so far this season where I just have just enough bad holes to make it a mind numbing round. But that's my favorite. I just think it because whether you want to hit a driver or a three wood, it's, it makes you kind of think strategically. You can bite off the corner if you can hit a draw. Ryan actually hit a nice high draw on accident uh, but smoked it and probably only had like 150 or so out um, I think he took a bogey anyway but still just a great golfers thinking golfers golf hole I would say a uh, hole I would change replace or skip if I could not really anything I would change I mean there's some good variety there like Ryan said the, the par fives are pretty short but in some way shape or form whether it's the design and the layout make some play some mind tricks on you or whatever um, you know, they get tough. Probably the hole I could do without, honestly, I've never played it well, and it usually has some skin in the game for a game or my score or whatever is 18. It's actually a great hole. Um, it's a little bit of a dog leg left with that creek running diagonal. If you really poke a driver for somebody like me from the blues and you go across the short part, you could probably clear it. Um, but it's it's a stretch because the creek isn't like you know you can jump across it. It's a good ten to twelve feet across it, so it's a it's a good wide chasm. Um, you know, if I've always play safe and lay up and put myself in a bad spot this year, I you know this time I chunked one to the creek on my second shot. The green is tough. It's a hole that does get a lot of water from the creek when it floods, so the traps are a little bit harder. I happen to be in a trap. You really have to kind of pick it out. You can't blast it out. So just a really, really hard hole, kind of by literally by nature and a little bit by design. Probably one I would skip every time if I could. Don't know that I've ever gotten better than a maybe a bogey at best, but probably a double or a triple like I did this time. Uh, scale of one to five, greens, like Ryan said, great shape. I mean, I commented that they were soft, under your feet but they were firm to hit into and there were virtually no ball marks which is really hard to find on a public course these days because people are idiots and they don't pick they don't fix their ball mark or at least anything that they see my rule is i fix mine plus one or two every time there we didn't have to uh they rolled true they were they were quick not overly fast not unfair they've got a lot of change to them i would definitely give the greens a good solid four plus there 
scenery just because it's a parks course you know and if you like an old school parks course the scenery is good it's not you know there's no lake michigan there's no atlantic ocean there's no pacific ocean there's no mountains or anything like that but you know i mean it's a it's a solid three and a half from scenery just you know from a parks course standpoint it's a it's a good looking course variety like ryan said not a ton i mean there's a couple holes there's a hole where all of a sudden you get a tight strand down the left right and a slight dog leg left of white pines and it's a really tight driving area but it's a really long par four um, and then you get a pretty wide open par five um, shortly after that that Ryan said he would get rid of that has a giant oak tree right in the middle of the fairway so I mean from that standpoint they've made some good variety out of what you can do from a parks course but I'll give it a three and a half for variety overall I give Kaufman a solid four it is definitely it's up there with the mines is probably one of my courses I wish I played more in a year and I would definitely recommend it to anyone who likes to play golf in the Grand Rapids area all right, as we always do, we will close with a sprint. I'm going to toss out the questions here, and then we will play Ryan's responses. So spot sprint number one is, will the CFP expand to 12 teams this year? Who's your favorite non-star MSU basketball player of all time? Favorite U.S. Open course and current favorite song? Ryan, let's hear what you have to say. I think the college football playoff will expand 12 teams eventually. I don't think it's going to be this year, but I think next year, so 2022, uh, 2023 is the year that's going to happen. My favorite non-MSU basketball player of all time has got to be Matt Costello. Like I said, I love him. Love his game. Uh, Pinders has got to be my favorite U.S. Open course of all time. I think it's a really cool one, Donald Ross design. Uh, could have gone with Pebble or Oakmont or something like that, but I, I like Pinehurst so Watch. It's beautiful. Favorite song right now, Tequila on a Boat by Dustin Lynch and Chris Lane. Love it. Great summer song. Um, yeah, it's, it's great. Makes me feel like summer is always always there, and it is, it is now, and I'm, I'm very glad about that. All right, my sprint. Um Number one, no way the NCAA and CFP can get their sugar honey iced tea together that fast. I say it's two to three years down the road, even though it should be stat. Two, so many choices, but I got to go with my man, Andre Hudson. Spot number three, again, so many great tracks to choose from, but I really like Shinnecock Hills out on Long Island. It's brutally hard and it just it's a vintage US open course. It's pretty open. The greens are firm and fast. The rough is penal. It is what an open should be. Um, I can remember at least a couple of opens that have been there. Love that course. And for me, favorite current song, do love tequila on a boat. There's a lot of tequila songs for country music listeners right now, but I'm gonna go with Fancy Like by Walker Hayes. Catchy, good one to jam to while you're driving to and from work. All right, sprint out of the way. Let's go to Ryan for some final social media closing thoughts. I'm going to say it more. Follow us on Twitter. You guys know the joke. Come on, guys. We appreciate you. Um, thank you, Team Andrews Realty. Um, enjoy the U.S. Open this weekend. Happy Father's Day to all the fathers out there. Uh, we love you guys. Keep listening. Keep telling your friends. Um, Likes, dislikes, tell us. Tell us what you want to hear. Uh, take care, everybody. Have a great Father's Day weekend. 
That's it for this week. We've got plenty of sports goodness in front of us, as always. So we'll come up with another batch to entertain you next week. Maybe Ryan and I will figure out a new way to deal with the distance thing. Maybe we can get them off of a 12-hour day and we can do this thing via Zoom and have a little bit more banter back and forth. But thanks for bearing with us as we adjust it on the fly. As Ryan said, share your ideas, likes, dislikes, etc. via our Twitter. And if you have a hot topic for us to debate, let us know. Happy Father's Day to all the dads out there listening. Thank you again to Team Anders Realtors, our presenting sponsor. Learn more about how Team Anders can help you with your realty needs at teamanders.com. Meantime, remember, there are only two types of player. Those who keep their nerves under control and win championships, and those who do not.